HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's episode of the Farm Report, live from the Charleston Food and Wine and Food Festival, is proudly brought to you by Open Table, home to the world's largest dining network, seating over 17 million diners every month. Month. <laughs> For more information, visit opentable.com. It like feels a little weird being back on the mic for the Farm Report. You guys might remember me, Erin Fairbanks, a longtime host of the Farm Report. I know you've been kicking it with Holly Cedarholm on a weekly basis, but we wanted to um, do something a little special while we're down here in Charleston for the Food and Wine Fest. So we are in the HRN teepee with the one and only Brittany Miller of Manchester Farms. Brittany, welcome. Hey there. Thanks so much. So, so glad to be here. When you sat down, you said that you were having dreams of Roberta's <laughs> last night. Tell us about that. So, I totally, um, you know, we're at a food and wine event and the festival starts today, but it's been busy since Wednesday and not a lot of eating is going on because you're just all over the place. And I totally dreamed about reading, eating a Roberta's pizza last night. <laughs> I woke up this morning going, oh, really, could it be? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like we have a little bit of Roberta's here in, in the teepee. Well, for folks who aren't familiar with Manchester Farm, um, one of the country's largest and longest-running quail farms, why don't you give us the general kind of like state of the nation, the, the need to know for folks who are not already enjoying delicious quail on a regular basis? We are a 40-year family farm. Um, it started out as a hobby of my dad's and um, he has a poultry science degree and was working for Campbell Soup and turned into what turned into a hobby was um, just love for animals and, and giving them the best environment that you can and his backyard flock grew into more and more and the neighbors said if you'll dress them we'll eat them and literally it started on the picnic table in the backyard and so 40 years later, um, still in the family, still doing it, never, ever with antibiotics and a whole lot of love. Um, so, we, you know, for folks who want to get the full kind of background, uh, we did have Brittany on as a guest of the Farm Report. Check out episode 262. Um, really great overview of, of all things quail. Today, I want to kind of catch up a little bit more on some recent events. And then we're going to be joined in a few minutes here by uh, Chef Rob Newton, who is a big 
quail advocate. Um, but before we get there, I know last time I was in Charleston, mid-October, it was just after a big storm that Ugh. blew through this area. And one of the things I feel like gets missed so often in mainstream media when we're talking about major weather events is the impact on you know regional agriculture infrastructure. And I'm wondering how you guys came through that storm, what the impact was, and and how do you kind of prepare for that kind of stuff uh, from the business end of things? A lot of praying, really, <laughs> and a lot of worry. Um, so Sunday morning, we woke up to 24 inches in 24 hours, 21 inches, and they said it was coming, and I never understood how Katrina could happen. Right. But you don't really think it's going to happen to you, and you don't th- ever think it's going to be that bad. Sure. And we woke up to alarms, um, helicopters, and people evacuating, running. Um, we watched some people throw their infant over the freeway wall to get them out of a one-way street from rising waters. Oh, my God. And, it's, and, and the dog, too. And, um, it, I mean, it was, it was so scary. And... Um, thankfully there were not that many deaths because in the South we have a lot of John boats and John boats, John boats. Those are, um, so it's a little motorized, kind of like a two person boat and every good redneck has one. It's got, you can hold two (laughs) people and you can go fishing and go duck hunting and everybody grabbed their John boats and started riding down the roads that were five feet underwater, getting people off their roofs. So this is a road that you would normally drive a a car down. Yeah. Normal. Yep. And it's a river now. And, and it's all over the place, everywhere. You're just hanging out in South Carolina. You hear the weather report. This is back in October. Or was it late October? Uh, yeah, yeah mid October. And then you wake up the next day, and the road is literally underwater. Oh my God. Underwater. And so you couldn't, you, you were immobilized. If you were on a hill, you were safe, which we, we were on a hill. But the people that were in the lower areas, the dams kept breaking amongst the chain of um, ponds. So. Not only was it the rainfall, but it was also the dams breaking. And so then it would cause another surge. And so you'd get another alarm that you had to evacuate. And um, it was devastating. A lot of neighborhoods got devastated. Some of our friends are still not back in their homes. Wow. Um, not mention the fields. They're so wet that the farmers can't get into them. Whatever was planted is gone. And it's still not even dry. And even like today's weather will still hamper them being able to get in the fields in the spring. So, um it's, it's been a really trying six months, but um, the community pulled together and the whole world of hospitality pulled together and they did food deliveries and all the beer guys brought beer and pizzas and for those people that didn't have a home anymore or any place to stay or any food. Right. And um, it was really strengthening to see um, what a strong community comes together when bad things happen. Sure. And I think, too, that I think that's the other part of the agriculture conversation is there are huge impacts, especially when you're looking at any type of meat production on 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 the land, on the environment. What are some of the ways um, kind of in a year round basis that you guys are are thoughtful of your environmental impact? What are some of the things that you put into play? In farming, farmers don't like change. They like things pretty constant. When change happens, you know, you have to have a counterbalance of, of an action. And for us, we live in the South, which has four seasons. So in the summer, you know, it's the heat. In the winter, it's ice storms or snow. And um, you just have to be prepared for all things there. And you honestly, it's kind of a moment to moment. You can master plan everything, but until you know that there's six in- inches of ice on those trees, what do you do then? And, and honestly, for us, you kind of ha- just hunker down. And like we won't run our process and plant because we don't want our coworkers to come in and risk any danger of being on the roads. And um, 
it, it's you cannot control Mother Nature, and she will let you know very quickly you are out of control. The only thing you can do is try and have fail safes wherever possible. And we were the farm that was the closest to the flooding was in a hundred year flood, and we it, the waters got within you know a hundred feet, a couple hundred feet of our farm. So, and it could have devastated us. I mean, instantly we would have been out of business. But now we know it's the thousand year flood and not the hundred year flood that's going to get us. So. Like, stay tuned. <laughs> Have the sandbags at the ready. Yeah. yeah, well, I also like just kind of being mobile. I think that's, um, it, it's just a, a thing I, I wanted to kind of get a chance to, to chat with you a little bit about because, one, we haven't been able to bring our listeners an update. And, two, I think it's just like part of the conversation around climate change and food security that mm-hmm. we need to be talking more and more about. You have to be mindful about it. I mean, it's an everyday occurrence that you must live within. And, um if you try and look the other way and think you can handle it otherwise, you'll become very humble very quickly. Um, well, so, folks, you can find um, Manche- their ManchesterFarms.com, Brittany's tweets at Brittany Quayle. Um, we're going to take a quick station break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Chef Rob Newen. We're going to talk a little bit more about the culinary landscape as it relates to quail. So hang tight. We're going to take a, ha- a quick station break. <laughs> This is the story of men and women who shed not only their clothes, but also their... And today's program proudly brought to you by Open Table, sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Open Table is home to the world's largest dining network, seating over 17 million diners every month. Their technology solutions help restaurants run and grow their businesses. That means providing memorable hospitality to every guest, streamlining front-of-house operations, and optimizing seating to seat more diners and drive more business. Chefs, restaurateurs, and other industry professionals can find more tips and best practices for running a successful restaurant on their blog, Open for Business, at openforbusiness.opentable.com. Chefs and media in Charleston this weekend, come visit them at the Open Table VIP Hospitality Lounge for food, drinks, good company, and a little R&R. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, if you're tuning in, we are coming to you live from Charleston Wine and Food. I'm Aaron Fairbanks. You're tuned into a special episode of The Farm Report when we are talking all things quail. We are here in the Heritage Radio Network teepee with Brittany Miller, owner-operator of Manchester Farms, and we've just been joined by one of our favorite Brooklyn chefs, uh, Rob Newton of Nightingale Nine, Wilma Jean, and Smith Canteen. Hello. Hey. Hey so, um, Rob, longtime quail advocate. I feel like quail is a is a thing that like you see on a lot of fine dining menus, um, but it, it's not the first thing people think of in poultry. And I think we are wrong. Why? Tell us. I don't know. I've I've promoted this little bird for a long time. Even because I went to culinary school in Vermont, and that's probably the first time I had it. There's another quail producer that we probably don't need to talk about up here. Up we there. all love each other. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, that's good. You have to stick together, right? Um, Friend of a feather. And then, I don't know, it's just delicious. I It probably grows really quickly. I don't know as much about that as you obviously do. Yeah. Um, well, wait, hold delicious. on. How long does it take to grow a quail? Five weeks. Five weeks. Mm-hmm. Fully just think in terms of sustainability, that's pretty awesome. And mm-hmm. it's delicious. Yeah. You know? yeah. 
I think one of the things that I love about quail is the size because I, exactly. I, I don't want to be you know forced to choose between like a breast or a thigh or like I'm like can I just have them all? But I like I'm going to be honest I can't eat a whole chicken. That's good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't think I can eat a whole chicken either. But I want it all. I want all the parts. So unless you have yeah. like you know someone sweet who's willing to kind of give you lots of bites off their plate. Um, can you talk about like in the kitchen when you're thinking about culinary applications of quail, like, are you approaching it totally different than other poultry? Like what does it bring to the table that other birds don't? I mean, I think the, I love the size I've served it in, uh, two of the restaurants I own and then other restaurants I've worked in. Um, so size is, is uh, a lot of fun right out of the gate. But I, when I think of like preparations, um, I just think of it as kind of like baby duck, <laughs> you know, and it's, it just doesn't have as much fat as a duck. So which duck fat is amazing, but it's easier to prepare, I think, than duck. People are, are oftentimes when I talk about my love of duck as well, people are, are sometimes intimidated by preparing a whole duck. And with quail, you don't you don't have that problem. And it's incredibly versatile from the grill or just in a pan or cast iron. Um, I love the versatility. I love the size, like you said. Um, I love its ease. It's quick. It's it's really dark quick. meat, like minutes, like ish, four to five you know? minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what I just don't know why it's not more popular. I, I really, I am kind of a quail advocate. That's why I'm here. <laughs> what about cost? Let's talk about cost. So, like when you're when you're thinking about um, you know producing quail, Brittany, on your end, and then making a, a purchasing decision on a restaurant, Rob, from your perspective, like can you give us a sense of? Um, where in the like line of proteins quail goes? Cause I think I always assumed that quail was like a very high end bird, but right, it used to be. Um, we used to be one of the highest cost proteins out there, other than like lamb or duck. Um, nowadays, with the cost of beef and the rising, the reducing size of the herd, and um, we're almost neck and neck with the price of a steak per pound. So we've tried to hold our costs down. You know, we're doing this for passion, not for profit. And sure. Trying to keep our cost affordable so that it, you know, it can make it on as many plates as possible. Well, one of the things I feel like was super surprising to me from the last interview we did, we were talking about quail eggs oh, yeah. and, and the nutrition content. So can you talk to us a little bit about like bang for a buck from a nutrition standpoint? You know, if we're comparing, you know, a chicken to a quail or a quail egg to a chicken egg? So on the meat side of it, the, the quail meat is more dense in protein. So like... Um, one quail is 22 ounces of protein, and you really can't, 22 grams of protein. And so it ranks even higher on the protein value than turkey. And so it's one of the most nutrient-rich meats out there. So you really don't Are need you crossfitters out there listening? <laughs> quail is the bird of the quail future. Quail smoothie. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the egg side of it, talking about smoothies, my dad eats um, four raw eggs every morning. Oh and Whew. the health benefits health that man. he's seen is reduced cholesterol. He's gotten off of um, blood pressure medicine and um, gotten rid of leg cramps. And so it's, wow. they say it's like a full amino acid built into one little egg, and one quail egg equals the same nutritional value as five chicken eggs. That blows my mind. Did you know that, Rob? It's a magical bird. I did not it know that. It is a magical bird. I, I was like, what? That. And I think it, to, to me there's like something interesting, you know, when we're talking about this conversation around eating meat, one of the big things that people are saying is like, you don't have to be vegan, you don't have to be vegetarian, but... Maybe let's think about eating eating less meat. And I think if you're eating a smaller quantity, but you're getting that like really dense nutritional like bang right. for the buck, 
kind of the best of both worlds. Well, Rob, putting that cost question to you, when you're looking um, across your kind of protein purchases, putting together a restaurant menu, like where does quail fit into it? And, and does it play a different role in your like menu composition than maybe uh, chicken or duck or beef might? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think with the, where menu design and the way that people are eating by and large in America and in bigger cities, maybe to a greater degree, Quail's in an interesting spot because I think there's less, I would like to think there's less places where, you know, you sit down to a giant 38-ounce yeah. ribeye uh, and go to town. And I think quail is in an interesting spot because it's small enough that you could do an appetizer if you wanted to, but it's also kind of perfect if you want to have more things on the table that you can enjoy more of. So it can be sort of in the mix with three or four other plates. Got it. Um, it's also easy to share because when I buy it, I like to buy them semi-boneless, and the whole middle part is boneless, but then you have the little wings and the legs, and so it's easy to maneuver on the table for the guest if they have mm-hmm. any kind of anatomical understanding of a bird at all. Sure. Um, I don't have to get nervous. that I'm like, what am I cutting into? How do I do it? Yeah, and the bones are really small, and you can maneuver them if you're adventurous at all. Um, so I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but it, it really is kind of diverse, <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, in terms of price and in, um, for the guest overall experience. It's like the bird of all trades. You're like, yeah. I, I get to basically, I can do what I want. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and so many people ask me, like, how many do most people eat? And right. They think that they're going to eat like six, but you just, you're so satisfied after probably two right. that you don't. I mean, you, your body could fill it in your stomach probably, but your your mind and your palate says, I'm satisfied. You're so, satisfied. Um, it, you know, it just comes in a nice, dense little package. I'm always trying to work on that mind-body connection, <laughs> <laughs> and especially at an event like this. Well, sure, I should have another quail. Why not? <laughs> I mean, so um, your team is down here uh, as part of uh, Food & Wine. Um, for folks who are here on site for the festival, where should they find you next? What should they look forward to? So we have um, our quail is going to be served um, over the next three days um, in the third space, on the demo um, boards, and also in the dine rounds. So um, we tried to give good coverage, and, you know, we're so thankful to have such a great chef community that um, supports us. So... Um, it's kind of all over. And That's then we're awesome. um, sponsoring the Sip and See this afternoon, which is a historic tour of homes so that people that are Ooh, traveling in get to yeah. go and see what real life in Charleston looks like and kind of what it looked like back in the days, too. So that sounds excited awesome. about that. I feel like that's always one of my favorite things to do here is just, like, walk around and, like, look at the houses and, like, I don't know, have, like, many fan. I'm, like, always fascinated by, like, walking along the battery and imagining, like, the like women in long flowing dresses, like yeah. looking out for their man coming back from ships <laughs> and, <laughs> and the horse drawn carriages going yeah. by the antebellum world. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely as a Midwest girl something I like don't really know anything about. Um, well, Rob, you're a you know you're from the South, yes, not from not from you know South Carolina. Yeah, but I just spend much time over here growing up. What um so what like what is what is like Southern Charleston, like when you think about like what what Charleston represents and the kind of pantheon of kind of the Southern food, the Southern vibe. I mean, it's obviously a city that we've been hearing more and more and more about every year. This great festival, I think, is like part of that. But you know, for you as a chef, like why is this a place to come down to? What do you kind of look to soak up and experience here, um, as opposed to trips to you know Birmingham or Atlanta or other places throughout the South? 
Um, well, I think historically it's it's an important city, you know, outside of, I mean, just historically in the terms of America. Um, but I think the thing that amazes me and Carrie, who we've been down here two years in a row together, um, it's just the concentration of awesome restaurants and, yeah. and this life here and the, the and zest. The people. And the people are amazing, too. It's a really fantastic city, yeah. and it's really close to New York, which makes it easy for people like us to live there. Um, the weather seems nice. It's a lot warmer right now. Um, yeah. well, <laughs> it's sunny. snowing yeah. in New York right now. Not much now. snow Sorry, here guys. right now. Yeah. Sorry. Um, it's just fantastic, and uh, I will continue to come to this particular festival as long as I'm invited. It's always fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I started a new challenge in 2016. I'm trying to read a book a week. Wow. Um, or I, I should more accurately say have read to me because I'm a big Audible fan. Um, and I was listening to Helen McDonald's H's for Hawk, which is all about um, a woman who's recently lost her father, and she kind of gets through it by... Um, raising this falcon, which reminded me, Brittany, <laughs> of one of the questions from the last um, episode we had you on that I was most surprised by, which is um, the retirement plan for uh, egg layers on your farm. So maybe you can share a little bit of that story with folks. So there's a community of people that raise falcons and they hunt with falcons. And um, falcons really love to eat quail. And so the the retirement plan for the the layers that lay the eggs, um, trying to be as respectful and responsible about their lives and their purpose. Um, we have them and they, we harvest them just for the falcon ears. And so, but they want the feathers, they want the viscera, they want every, except for the feet. So they don't like the feet. So every, everything that we do, we try and repurpose over and over again to be as responsible as possible. But the falcon ears, we ship them all over the country. I just thought that was so wild. You told me that. And then I was reading this book and she was talking a lot about um, because um, falcons, um, so much of their hunting ability and their energy is based on their weight. You're really like always super calculating the, the weight balance. And so again, going back to that like nutrition component, the kind of lean, dense protein is like a, the perfect feed for falconeers, which I just kind of like blew my That's mind. Mind boggling. Do and they get to falcon. chase it down and kill it, or? Well, no, they just feed it to them. They're uh, already. Uh, they're already um, so they're lazy falcons. Yeah. <laughs> they're it's expensive more of a falcons too. It's they're more like of a ten grand for one falcon. Yeah, it's crazy. That's an expensive hobby. It is an expensive wow. hobby. I'd love to witness it sometime. I'd like to see that. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. We're just gonna like throw that idea out to the festival organizer. Maybe they can do a falcon <laughs> demonstration <laughs> next year. That's your we'll event. That's your event next year. You can own that one. Yeah. We're gonna like all the birds, all the birds, the little birds. You can the clear big out birds. a space in the middle. You know? I can see it now. Absolutely. Um, well, so kind of wrapping up here. What? Speaking of kind of you know resolutions, next steps. Um, thinking about the the new year. We're obviously just into March, third month of 2016. Um, Brittany, what are things that folks should look forward to from, from Manchester Farms um, or things that you guys are looking forward to, big projects or events, or maybe it's just like continuing to enjoy a good bird? You know, one thing that we're working on right now is um, pickled eggs, pickled quail Ooh. eggs to put on like charcuterie boards. We're testing a couple different Cocktails. flavors. Cocktails. We're doing, we're doing a Bloody Mary pickled egg. Nice. And then we also did, we tested a bourbon and everybody went nuts over it. Champagne vinegar with star cool. anise. And um, so we've been playing around with that. We've, 
Everybody asks us about jerky, and I'm like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. So now we're actually looking into doing some kind of cured meats with quail, and so you can maybe find it in some gift shop somewhere down the road. Wow, that's like that's super cool. You're like always experimenting, kind of like what's what's yeah, we, next. Yeah, we never stop. We, never, <laughs> we don't ever stop. I mean, like you guys, you you do menu planning and stuff, and you ideas and yeah, it's a you come down evolution. here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. you eat something down here, and it says, oh wait, you know, sure. can I do this and can I make it your own kind of thing? But you know, it's what we love to do too. So um, that could be a good segment for you, Aaron. Like, what's the deal with jerky? What's the deal with jerky? It's everywhere. (laughs) Carrie just pointed it out. It is. I was out uh, in San Francisco for the fancy food show, and I ate so much really bad jerky. Oh, no. What is bad jerky? Like dry, not sweet? It's like like dry and kind of like sandpapery and grisly at the same time. You're like, how did you get it both like fatty and greasy and super dry and unpleasant at the same time? (laughs) And then I feel like the other thing about, the other thing that to me is like weird about jerky is if you're a jerky maker and you can't talk to me in a really straightforward and easy way about the source of your meat, Ooh. I'm like, that's your whole business. Right. And I'm going to say dude because it's prim- predominantly like men who um, <laughs> who I was running into um, out of the fancy food show who were starting these small batch jerky companies. And they're just like, jerky, it's good. We made it. We put teriyaki on it. I'm like, is that even an idea still? Like. Yeah. That's yeah. been, I don't know, like you don't have you to just kind of bring something the hormones if you to the <laughs> table. I just, yeah, and, and if you can't talk to me about your, like, meat supply, I just, I don't even get, like, what you're focusing your business on. Yeah, it's frustrating. Sure. That can go across all Anything. industry, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I, I will say, uh, in a, the first time I tried to make beef jerky, this is a little embarrassing, I was experimenting uh, when I was working at Gramercy Tavern, and I just... I didn't read anything about it, and I didn't really think this through, but I literally took, like, a nice, like, slice of beef, and I entombed it in salt. I I basically completely buried the thing in salt, and I made a great, like, beef salt lick. (laughs) 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 But I I only feel, I feel like I can critique bad jerky because I've gone through the the humbling process, but I didn't try and feed that to anyone. (laughs) You started out in the worst possible situation. (laughs) Yes, yes. The dehydrator is what you need. Yeah, yeah, the dehydrator, which is like, but I was like, what can like really pull water out of meat? I'm like salt. <laughs> I kind of forgot about the other part of the osmosis where the salt comes <laughs> into the right. meat. So right. you know we're all about er- experimentation on the Heritage Radio Network. We're all about totally. kind of like playing around. But I also think you know you got to be responsible about kind of knowing your stuff or just saying that like hey maybe I made a mistake and I don't. Well, know. and that's with us. You know I'm not a jerky expert, so we're gonna reach out to some you know some some folks that are known in the industry for this type of process and kind of use their experience and expertise to help us move it along because we won't roll out a salt lick. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you in advance. And I would expect nothing less. Well, we are just about out of time, but we are asking everyone who stops by at the festival here to join us in a segment that we do every week on one of our brand new shows, the week in review. It's called big ups. Um, and this is a chance to kind of give a shout out to folks in your life, um, who you're excited to see down here at Charleston, who really made your week last week, who do something really delicious. Um, but it can also be, you know, places or things, too. You're like, uh, last week I think I shouted out donuts because I've been, like, really feeling donuts lately. <laughs> um, so before we let you guys go, I'm wondering, maybe Rob, starting with you, uh, who you want to big up this week? 
Uh, I guess it's most recent. Andrew Rushing just got an award here a few minutes ago, and I think we're going to have lunch with her. So congratulations to her. That's, and who is she? She's a chef and owner of, I think her first restaurant was, was Lantern in uh, Chapel Hill. And she also has a place in Durham. I think it's called the Durham. The Durham. Yeah, so congratulations to her. Yeah, big That's ups awesome. to Andrea. I'm a huge fan of hers, too. I support that. She made some good goat last night, too. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Brittany? Um, I think, honestly, the one that's been in my heart and on my brain for the last week is Sam Bell. Mm, terrible. Black Gray Farms. Yeah. Still can't believe that happened. Um, absolute shame. But everything that he embodied, everybody that I've talked to has carried on his torch of pride and genuineness and just love and passion for everything. So um, he was here for a short time but made such an impact on a lot of people's lives. And to do things better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I I do know you can make a contribution to the Blackberry Farms Foundation if you want to um, extend your support in that way, too. So definitely look that up and, and make a gift there. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Always Thanks so for fun. letting me crash your party. Yeah, yeah. Man. I love the teepee, too. <laughs> the teepee is good. Uh, this has been our very first uh, remote broadcast of the Farm Report. We're going to take a quick break, uh, but stay tuned. At noon, we'll be joined by Stephanie Burt of the Southern Fork. Uh, excited to chat with her and hear a little bit more about what she's got going on. All right. Thanks for listening. And again, if you're tuning in live and you want to get in touch with us, you can do that on Twitter, where Heritage underscore Radio, on Instagram at Heritage underscore Radio, and of course, this show, like all shows, are available archived on HeritageRadioNetwork.org and on iTunes. So we'll be right back in a few minutes. Thank you.